Dead or alive, you are coming with me. I want us to be good little boys now so we can fight some more for them in the future. Some more they'll decide on. We'd rather fight our own war right now. Without further ado, it's time to start running! I see three of them out there. Hit the one in the middle. Right! Hit the one in the middle. Welcome to the party, pal! Apparently it's rusted junk and we're looking at it. Hello, welcome to a special edition of Rusted Junk, where we look at the 1984 film A Nightmare on Elm Street, starring Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, and of course, everyone's favourite rogue, Johnny Depp. And we have a special guest as well. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? something wrong with you you're imagining things nightmare on elm street do you believe in the boogeyman no whatever you do don't fall asleep no! she's the only one who can stop it if she fails i'm your boyfriend now nancy no one will survive Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, so that was Nightmare on Elm Street, very 80s trailer. Um, we have a special horror edition of Rusted Junk, um, and because Mandy is a massive scaredy cat and can't watch anything horror related or anything like that, then... Um, I am joined by a very special guest, um, my very good friend, um, Dom Dominic Hardman. I don't mind. It's going to be it's going to be a bit. I uh, just calling you Dominic all the time. So you introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about you and um, what you like about eighties movies, if anything. Yeah. yeah. Great, great to be here, Charlie. Thank you very much. Yeah, Dom's fine. Dom's my street name. Yeah, Dominic just just at work. So yeah, Dom's my name. Yeah. What what responsibility? What. A, Big fan of the pod, love the chemistry and the the warmth and the experience that you and uh, you and Amanda have on the pod. So just hoping I can recreate that, Charles. And, and if not, then I can compensate with my um, with my eighties film knowledge, such as it is. So uh, yeah. right, okay, if I can avoid embarrassing myself, that's my objective for this. Where season. would you? Where would your eighties film knowledge be? Um, uh, is it? Is it? down here with Rodney Dangerfield and Easy Money and, you know, Revenge of the Nerds? Is it somewhere in the middle with, like, I don't know, uh, Patrick Dempsey, Can't Buy Me Love, some, you know, things that people know, or is it Goonies and Back to the Future? <laughs> where, where, where are you on that scale? Yeah, let me get my excuses in early then, yeah? So okay. now, now, we're, now we're both men of a certain age, Charles. Um, the difference in our age isn't, isn't really material, is it? But, 
you know, if we if we transport ourselves back to the 1980s, I, I was 14 at the end of the 1980s, so right. I've got definite definite bias towards films from the second half of the decade. Yes. And, um, and yeah, I'm possibly on firmer ground when it comes to to 90s films. Oh, so when say. we start the 90s podcast, you'd be it'd be you'd be in every other one. Once you flog this one dry, which won't be for many, many seasons to to get give the solid gold content I've been listening to, then uh, then yeah, well, nineties I, I can come on every every couple of years and give my uh, give my contribution. So now I would say um, certain genres, uh, you know, I've got better knowledge than others. I'm, I'm a bit picky in the sense that if it's a good film, it's a good film. But there are yeah. certain genres that I'm drawn to, and horror is definitely definitely one of them. Eighties uh, comedy, that that'd be another. Uh, you know, there's some some of my favourite eighties films are the comedy genre. So, okay. uh, I rewatched Trading Places. That's uh, an absolute classic. classic. Um, yeah. uh, I watched the remake to Coming to America, which wasn't so wasn't so good, but the original Coming to America again, another, another classic. But yeah, if I had to pick a genre, it'd be be horror, nineteen eighties horror. Wow. Okay. Well, then then you, I, I'm in good company, and I and I couldn't ask for better. Then, then with those credentials, um, I haven't watched Coming to America or Coming. I mean, how do you pronounce it? Is it Coming to America? Coming to America too, or is it just? It's, I know it's got to two America. in the middle. I know it's got the two in the middle. But anyway, um, when we do comedy, which will be season five, although I do promise you, good listeners, that we will there'll be some extremely good comedic moments in season four, um, even though obscure. Yep, <laughs> that's the name of the game for season four. But anyway, I've got not... a suggestion. I've got a suggestion for, for, a, for a later season. British films. Have you actually covered any British films on your um, on your podcast? Called, it's a fish called Ronda British. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good example. But they're limited, aren't they? And I was thinking, you know, as I was preparing for this pod, what are my favourite films from the eighties? I was thinking things like Rita Sue and Bob Two. I was thinking okay. Educating Rita. Yeah, you know, yeah. Film, films like that. I know they're not exactly forgotten, but. Um, yeah, a bit, bit of an American bias, I'm thinking, Charles. I it's, think, no, no, no. It's Brexit era. <laughs> well, I think, well, you, you've got a point, but I was watching more American films, which is why it came up. But it, it's a good point. There are some great films in the 80s, uh, great British films in the 80s. D- um, I'm not going to suggest you do French art house at any point. Yeah, I think I think let's, let's draw the line at, at British films. Well, you look at, you look at the, whole, the whole reason of forgotten 80s films. Uh, it's it's so hard to justify Stand By Me, right? It's hard, but we did it anyway, right? In, but it's in easy. My, to... In my top 10 films of all time, let alone 1980s. Uh, so, yeah. Right, good, okay. That was a good shout. Loved it. Loved the part. But if you went to somebody who's 19 and went, oh, what do you think about Stand By Me? And they look at you clueless, then it's forgotten. That, that's why I support raising the voting age to 30. Yeah, I just think you know, people talk about lowering it to 60, I just think wrong, wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, yeah, anyway, we've got a film to do. Uh, so why don't we uh, why don't we get onto that? Um, as is customary, we always start with, um, obviously we're covering the 1984 classic Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, we give out the scores and you are the guest and it would only be polite to uh, to say what score you gave it out of 10 and why you gave it. Over to you. Right, well, my score for this film is a solid, compelling 8.5. I'm going for 8.5 out of 10. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see the eye- eyebrows being raised from, from here. But, <laughs> well. um, so I thought, yeah, I thought it's a classic. It is the perhaps the definitive 1980s horror film. It's um, original, imaginative. 
in places scary and um and i think it's had a legacy i think it's had a legacy that lasts you know there's, there's a lot of iconic things in that film the glove the jumper freddy krueger as a character so yeah really enjoyed it eight eight and a half out of ten wow i feel almost um embarrassed now well you know, this is the whole point of the podcast is if we both went it's eight and a half and then just went singing its praises all the time then um we'd we'd still take it the same amount of time but yes well let's introduce some healthy disagreements shall we um it's an extremely solid five it's a uh, it's straight down the middle it is um not what i expected uh, well it, it's entirely what i expected and, and wait a minute, b- before anybody that's listening is spitting out the coffee and going, what, five for Nightmare on Elm Street? That's akin to giving five for The Shining. The Shining is not a five out of ten film. It is a nine or ten, nine, a solid nine. The Thing is a solid nine. You know, fine. I will justify this five as it goes on, but five it is. Um, I was I, I was more scared when the, the ring doorbell, uh, not ring doorbell, the google hello doorbell went last night and i couldn't diagnose the problem and i was going oh god we've got no we've got no no video camera so uh um yeah five's a valid score i can can picture you sitting there with your arms folded tutting occasionally as the uh i was writing i was writing furiously (laughs) um we can't see it because we're doing this over video conference because while it would be great to have dom sat opposite me um such is the way everyone's doing this so um I would say this is this is the most he says holding up the book this is the most notes I've ever done ever look, done for look, a film they look to be in pen Charles I thought not not even crayon no you, you put down the crayon <laughs> you got the, the fountain pen out eh? well I was I was I was I was putting the crayon too hard on the paper so um yeah there was there were issues with that oh wow well before we dissect it um I think we do a bit of roll. I don't know. Let's do a bit of roll call and then let's get into the meat of the film. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. Do, do I have to do the uh, the roll call jingle or have you got it? Have you got it teed up? Uh, do, do you want? Do you want to? I I, I, w- I will have it teed up. But what's your? Do you want to reimagine it as as a as, <laughs> no, a, no, as no. an Art Deco installation or something or? I've I've remembered I'm trying to avoid embarrassment aren't I and there's always um, you know DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince's uh, Nightmare Nightmare on My Street Nightmare on My Street yes good shout yeah yeah oh dear references we'll say that (laughs) well good lord well you're starting strong I would say Um, okay let's go to roll call roll call okay so well, we've got one very famous roll call in this, but let's let's leave him for the for the moment because there are other people here that that, that need some coverage. Um, so, without looking, do you know how many Nightmare on Elm Street films there were in total? <clears throat> I looked say, it up, and I was out by one. I guess it depends how you define them, but I would say seven core. Is it seven of the core films? There are a couple of spin-offs. Is, is that right? Nine. I'm, my guess is nine. You're spot on. It's nine. Absolutely, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street films because you count the 2010 remake of this film um, as one of the films, obviously. Yeah. You know, still in it. Um, uh, before we go to roll call, uh, well, before we go into the the actors and actresses in this, um, Wes Craven. Now, 
I was astounded by this. And again, it might be heresy. And if Wes Craven's lawyers are listening, look, I just use internet. <laughs> I just use the IMDb. Okay, this is just my thing. But when you talk about greats and heavyweights um, of you know the the horror genre, John Carpenter, Sam Raimi, you know. Um, to a lesser extent like you know Ridley Scott and Alien and stuff like that I mean they're not different they're not horrors as such that's they're just exceptionally good science fiction Wes Craven you definitely put in there but yeah I, I agree I agree in, well, in, in, innovator I would say well is he because when you look him up he did Last House on the left he did The Hills Have Eyes which obviously everyone puts the what was the um, Italian referee Pierre Kalichi, and it was basically it's the guy from Hills Have Eyes, right? But what else did Ridley? Oh, and he did a film called um, Shocker, which is the film I recommend to people. Uh, stars Mitch Pledgley, the um, uh, Scully's Mulder and Scully's boss in the X Files. It's very good. It's a really, really good film. But there's Nightmare on Elm Street and the Scream series. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's there's a case to be made for both of them being genre genre defining or genre changing even um but nothing else i couldn't find anything else what, what i would say is that yeah he might have a limited i suppose in terms of productivity he had you know so many sequels that he had quite a, a large number of films but original films then yeah you know very very few and then many spin-offs but i think what's interesting is like in the 70s he was one of these proponents of, of really shocking X-rated films, you know, which were often banned or heavily edited before they could be released into cinema, you know, particularly Last House on, on the Left, as you say, and, and The Hills yeah. Have Lines. Then in the 80s, he was, you know, he did this classic, definitive, some would say, uh, film Nightmare on Elm Street. And then in the 90s, he kind of reinvented it and reinvigorated the, the horror genre again um, with, with the Scream series, the first of which, at least, I think is a pr- pretty good film and pretty... You know, yeah. self-referential and, and all that so he, he kind of did it something new in in all three decades which i thought was a pretty good track record yeah absolutely i mean you know he directed he directed nightmare on elm street and he directed 10 years later uh uh wes craven's new nightmare so 10 years later was like the anniversary of of nightmare on elm street and all the actors and actresses from Nightmare on Elm Street played themselves. But Freddie was interwoven in that. Even Robert Englund, who played Freddie, was Robert Englund. And he was still and he's playing Freddie as well. So he didn't direct all of these films. He just set the standard, as you say, and then came back and then did it. So, yeah, I, I, a good shout on Scream. Because, yeah, Scream is, um, when, when that came along, I think the format had got tired of it. And the many reasons why that was responsible for that. I mean, not not you know that the Halloween films were were sort of running the course. Um, you know the well, Jason Jason was just you know had run its course. Um, but I think that's true, and that, that's often the kind of bracket you know you put it in. So how does it compare to the the Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween series? I, I would say the Nightmare on Elm Street series I, I put above that and, and certainly wow. as a standalone film so I, I, clearly I guess you'd disagree no no but where that. would you put it like I, I think the definitive seventh, early, uh, late 70s early 80s horror film yes you've got The Shining yes you've got The Thing let's put those out of the way for the moment um, you've got Halloween 
Halloween is pretty much damn perfect. It's just, it's just great. It's just that they flogged it to death. You see, in a straight choice, Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, I would choose Nightmare on Elm Street. So, wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get Roll Call out of the way and let's get into the meeting why we disagree that, that much. Uh, Robert Englund, uh, well, obviously, he will always be known as Freddy Krueger. Uh, but before this film, um, he starred as Willie uh, in V, the TV series, um, which I loved. I mean, I still love. I I was, I'm halfway through watching it right now, um, just simply because I'm looking at the parallels of what's going on, what's going on around me and going, oh, all right, okay, that's that's that seems familiar. Um, nothing much else. I mean, there's somebody that went. I'm gonna, I'm pretty much going to be able to retire in this character. Um, and I think he gets, I I think he gets better. I mean, for me, Nightmare on Street 3, Dream Warriors, is the best out of the whole lot, for me. It's just, that it's brilliant. No, I agree. It's def- definitely this, the, the original and the third one are the, uh, yeah, yeah. the strongest by, by a mile. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's been, been a while since I've watched the third one, but uh, yeah, good yeah. shout. But um, yeah, pretty much the rest of the, I, I always write this when I get, I, so regular listeners will know this, but I always go, um, stuff so if they've just appeared in Harcastle and McCormick and the A-Team and you know bit parts Robert Englund was in stuff and you know what Heather Lagenkamp who played Nancy so the main the main uh, the, the main girl in this um, stuff I, I honestly couldn't find apart from appear, re, reappearing as herself 10 years later in A New Nightmare couldn't find anything that I could pick out she, she's the one I want to return to when we're kind of critiquing the film because I thought okay. uh, her performance was um, I thought it was a weak link to be honest but I guess we're we're here to talk about their careers at the moment but yeah there's well yeah but yeah with the one um, with the one big exception there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on here but um but there is one character I think or one actress in it that's got a bit more of an interesting history and that's the one that plays the mum or the yeah. mom, Marge okay yeah so she she was. Um, Oscar nominated. She she uh, she got Oscar nominated for for best supporting actress in the 1976 Oscars. So that gives a certain pedigree, um, which was lacking elsewhere. I think. In the, and what was that for? Because I missed her off my list. So this is that's really fortunate. <clears throat> well, the, re- the only reason I checked her out, and um, you know, when I was thinking about the pod, was because I thought she gave one of the best performances in the uh, in the film. She's so she plays the mother of the main character, Nancy. Yeah. Uh, her role is to be kind of an alcoholic, um, pill popping, uh, you know, adult wrapped with guilt, um, and and I and I thought anyway she was she was good in it. She she you know she she got the right the right pitch and the right tone. So I wasn't surprised when I when I looked into her biography and she was the one that's actually a more creditable actress. And she got so she, anyway she got a best supporting actress nomination for Nashville um, in the nineteen seventy six. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the nineteen seventy six Oscars, which will resonate with you charles for for obvious absolutely reasons. yes for not for the best best film of all time missing out on best picture yeah yeah but um what a shortlist it was so i looked at the at the categories and best picture category for the 1976 oscars was one flew over the cuckoo's nest dog day mm. afternoon jaws uh, then it tails off a little bit <laughs> nashville uh, and then a film called barry lyden 
which is surely Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick's, yeah, yeah. Pointless answer, though. <laughs> if you're on you know, yeah. the British TV show, uh, Pointless, I think you get a, a pretty low score if, if that's the, the film that you come out or with. All eyes wide shut. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty strong shortlist, and of course, your, your favourite there. But she lost out to Lee Grant in Shampoo. But nevertheless, I thought a pretty credible uh, nomination there for her. Right, okay. Oh, that's a good shout, because I, I hadn't written it down. Have you got anything else on it? <laughs> no. That, that no. Was, <laughs> Stop. That was, it, uh, that was it, yeah. Well, she was a country and western singer, that's hence why she was in Nashville as well, as well as an actress. Okay, all right. Well, thanks, because that's the gap that I had. So that's great. Um, on to the dad, though, the police chief, John Saxon. Uh, he was famously, he was in Enter the Dragon. Uh, he also starred in... Uh, I have many guilt. Uh, do you know what? It's pointless saying guilty pleasures because I've got so many. It's almost like a genre. It's probably a bigger genre than non-guilty pleasures. But capitalising on Star Wars and the coming out the same year as Empire Strikes Back, he was the bad guy in Battle po- Battle Beyond the Stars. As which is as, as, as soon as I saw him, I, I recognised him, and, and I. When I was looking through his, you know, his film list, I, there wasn't one that jumped out. So I thought maybe he's just been in that many films because he must have been in two hundred odd movies that you just, you know, recognise him as a character actor. But I think when you said, um, was it Star Trek that you said there? That'll be on the stars. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Perhaps it was that. I'm not sure, but yeah, he definitely seemed like a. It's a Magnificent yeah. Seven. It's a remake of the Magnificent Seven in space, um, complete with cowboy cowboy hat wearing just in case you missed the reference there <laughs> the cowboy hat wearing leader um uh he's obviously obviously he was a nightmare on elm street one and three uh and also probably i mean unfortunately he died uh, last year he died in july last year um and as soon as he did I, I, you know first first thing i went back to in my head was Battle of, Battle Beyond the Stars, and then I went to Nightmare on Elm Street because I went, oh, of course, he's uh, he's uh, Nancy's dad. Um, probably when you look back on the how how we revisionist, we go back. He also starred in Dynasty for a season, um, but he played Rashid Ahmed, which I think we'll just leave that there. <laughs> if you if you want to go and check out his performances on that, just go to YouTube and look at it with a 2021 eyes and just I, I, I can picture him in the shoulder shoulder pads in it suddenly it'll make sense <laughs> something like that uh, rod were one of the four teenagers uh, in this film um was played by J- uh, jesus garcia um and it, it, it the, the name would never have resonated anything with me apart from one reference uh so just before that reference he was one of the cops in predator 2 um, meeting an untimely end but he was also in one of my TV favourite TV series which I mentioned can't find anywhere unless I go illegal so I, I can't find it anywhere uh, but Murder One it used to be on BBC One um, but he played one of the characters in there Eduardo Pordelegri who was a very important character in it and I just thought oh it's, it's Eduardo and I'd just forgotten that he was in Nightmare on Elm Street so very nice um uh, very nice surprise there, um, Amanda Amanda Weiss. Now, <laughs> Amanda Weiss, Tina, the blonde-haired girl. Freddy Krueger's first ever victim. Yes, that's right. Well, probably post post being burnt alive, <laughs> burnt alive in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the warehouse. Amanda Weiss. As soon as I saw her, I went, 
it's Beth from Better Off Dead. I'm sorry. I know it looks like every single podcast that I mention this, we will get to actually doing this. I watched Better Off Dead last weekend. um, And it just, it still holds up now. But she plays Beth in that. And that was two, that was two years later. She also played Woody's girlfriend in Cheers. And she was called, what was she called, Dom? She was called Susan. (laughs) Well, you would think. (laughs) She's called Beth. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, a lot of typecast there. So, the last character that we're getting on to um, is the other teenager that was in the film. It wasn't that he wasn't a teenager at the time; he was twenty. But although he did look like a fifteen-year-old girl, that, that's my <laughs> yes, he did. How Just about we, the teenage girl years? Yeah, the teenage well, girl years. How about certain controversy these days? Yeah. <laughs> How about we have an impromptu? Little does he know. Well, well, okay. don't look at it if you've got written it if you've got it written down or etched in memory, right? Okay, you've got thirty seconds to name five Johnny Depp films. Okay, okay. Three, Have two, we started? Three, two, one. <laughs> three, two, one. Edward Scissorhands. Yes. Sweeney Todd. Yes. Um, Donnie Brasco. Oh, great. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Did I say Pirates of the Caribbean? You didn't, but you just you just have Pirates of uh, the Caribbean. There you go. Yeah, and I probably yeah yeah. So not not the toughest one you've ever you've ever thrown out. But well, the uh, do you know, some of the obscure actors you give her. What, what I'm going to do after this is I'm going to do the same thing to Amanda, and I will let you know. I might actually just get the recording out and play it the next time that we do the that we record the next podcast. Um, Johnny Depp started out in. Uh, platoon uh he then went to was famous certainly for me i was watching all the hang know, on, hang on, hang on. Did, did johnny depp in platoon yeah he's in platoon right. yeah yeah he, he, he bulked up by the time he was in platoon then or was he you know, or did he, know he, was quite, he bulked up by the time he got into um the tv show that gave him that that i mean platoon gave him the, like a springboard but then he started in 21 jump street which was brilliant I mean, I was watching 21 Jump Street, anything that was on Channel 4 that was imported from the States that they couldn't find a home for, I watched it. Um, so there was a little known show. Oh, I, if you're in America and you're of a certain age and you remember the show, please just get in touch with us on the Twitter or whatever. But if anybody watched TV 101, does that mean anything to you, Don? No, no, sadly not. Matt, Matt LeBlanc, Joey from Friends, his first TV role. Basically, it was a media studies class. And it, everything everything around that. TV 101. Anyway, when I had to talk about TV 101. 21 Jump Street. Um, Cry Baby. John Waters' Cry Baby. Johnny Depp is one of his strongest performances. So that's the film I'm going to say. If you haven't seen it, check out Cry Baby because it still holds up now. The bit of hairspray. It's, a, it's John Waters. It's perfect. Um, as you said, Edward Cezanne's ben, Benny in June. Uh, we've got Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is, I thought you'd pick, especially you would pick that one. I, I think it's a really underrated film. It's, yeah, it it's is. A bit, it's a bit flawed, but it's, uh, it's definitely definitely worth a watch. Um, Alice in Wonderland, uh, Sleepy Hollow. Um, and then obviously Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one of which is pretty good. Um, the ones after that, yeah. You, you skipped a couple. I think I think my favourite kind of 
Johnny Depp era is that sort of turn of the millennium era when he did um, he did Sleeping Hollow. That's a, that's a decent film, I think. Um, from yeah, Hell yeah, as well, you know. And uh, yeah, so the, you know, there was, he, had, he had a good run of films there. Some of his early stuff, you know, is a bit variable. Some of the later stuff, not. But yeah, that, that middle era Johnny Depp, I think, is is my favourite bit. Okay. Um, I'm, so I'm pretty much late eighties, early nineties. Johnny Depp, but I do like. He did a film called, is it Dark Shadows? Just, I just, I hadn't written it down, but I remember seeing that he played a, the leader of an eccentric family, and was like, "Wow, uh, that's really good." I, I think he's great. We'll not get into the uh, Depp versus Heard, um, because that's still going through the courts. Not that this podcast would be going. And ladies and gentlemen, for, for, for the defendant, <laughs> um, may I present this podcast where they discuss it. Um, I think everyone everyone's picked a side on that one. So, well, I, personally, I've I've never really forgiven him for um, Sweeney Todd when I sat in the cinema and hadn't realised it was a musical. And uh, all right, okay, so team team Amber, I am definitely on that, on that basis. Of... <laughs> well, it's a bit like watching Rock of Ages, and then you go in. Have you ever seen Rock of Ages? No, I don't think I Alec have. Baldwin, Russell Brand, Tom Cruise, and they sing. They play aging rockers and they sing all the way through it. There's barely any dialogue in it. Sounds like a fever dream that you've had. No, that it's, sounds awful. It's horrible. Uh, but but uh, um, do you know what? It was nice to see um, Tom Cruise being referred to as the Magnolia actor, 60, 61. And I was like, that's nice. You know, you must, you must really appreciate that when it's like, it's not Top Gun or Days of Thunder. I think he wants to forget Days of Thunder. Well, most people probably have. Um, but yes, anyway. So yeah, that was Royal Call. Um, so the film itself, I expected strong, more. Strong start. There's a strong start to the film. Yeah. What with with him building the glove? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really. Yeah. <laughs> building this glove. You know, what's he doing at first? Because you don't know it's a glove, and then it becomes this uh, this horrible weapon. Is this? in human breathing and then that theme kicks in you know the kids on a skipping rope yeah that, yeah yeah to the song to the song of ring a ring of roses and that that's a pretty creepy little uh creepy little song they've got there it is and th- when they do appear um you know any anything with the you know little girls like, you know, like shining for example anything like that is just automatically spooky so yeah stick it stick it in the film definitely definitely understand that i think i think i think you're right with the start because it's grubby there's something going on and it's grubby and you don't know what it is you don't know anything about this 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 person that's doing this and 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 why um and you know it just cuts to it cuts to the fact that you know it cuts straight into a nightmare. It cuts straight into one of Tina's nightmares. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's a, I think it's a strong start. I think the, the whole film's not long, is it? It's like a... What is it? You've probably got the figures there. Is it like an hour and a half or something? It's what, so, yeah, one hour 32, yeah. There's not much padding. And it, you know, you're straight into this first kind of chase scene. And um, and I don't know. I think that's what you, you want from a... What, there's two... A couple of different ways you can go with a horror film, isn't there? You know, crank up the suspense over time and then bang. Or there's, you know, straight into it, head down. You know, we're in a different 
different space here. There's something going on, and uh, so, yeah, so I thought I thought strong start, and um, mm. and I think the strongest parts of the film generally are the bits where there's threat and peril, and there's a chase or something like that. I think <laughs> the bits which are a bit more clunky and uh, uh, less successful are the exposition, the bits that try and kind of hold it together. So I'm always happier when we're uh, when we're cracking on with a chase scene, and, uh, and Freddy's Freddy's going <laughs> to. And there are, there's some good, there's some, that's one thing I will give about the film, is there's some good imagery in it. Um, I mean, when we talk about it later, when he's, when his arms are extended and he's running down the street, uh, and you know, and you see that, I would, people remember that image, it's striking. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you anything about, well, I could tell you a couple of things about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but I can't tell you anything that's iconic. There are iconic scenes in this. Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, his glove, um, his um, his even his his jumper, his sweater that he wears, the the yeah. kind of the, the character himself, I think, is an iconic character. You know, he still persists, doesn't he? He's, um, even if people haven't seen the film, they've, they've heard of Freddy Krueger, I think. And, yeah, uh, and I think there is a legacy there. Um, it was good to see. Well, it was good to read first of all before the film was made. But Ready Player One, um, and Steven Spielberg made it into a film. One of the one of the characters in one of the battle scenes uh, to Ready Player One, you put your virtual reality on, you become whatever character you want to be. One of them is, on the battlefield is Freddy in his glove. Uh, and you just think somebody wants to be Freddy in this battle. And I just thought this, I love the references in that film, but it just goes to show you, they could have picked uh, Leatherface, uh, Jason, uh, Michael Myers, but they picked Freddy. And you think, because I think he's, out of those, he's probably the most iconic. Yeah. Well, and one one of the things I like about the character of Freddy Krueger, like, like in a in a, you know, in a broad sense, is that um, unlike some of those other characters that you list there, Michael Myers and Jason, things he's not just a big hulking figure who relies on brute strength and and things. Mm. He's he's kind of quite a slight figure in some ways, isn't he? He's and it's, it's kind of so it's his malevolence and his sort of evil that he exudes that, that makes him creepy plus of course the, the razor sharp fingers and things yeah. but it's um so it's more of an acting performance i think than some of the other stuff from the 80s or 70s yeah 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 absolutely um so she's having a dream um she uh, yeah there's pipes everywhere and you know um she screams she wakes up but her dress is ripped um and you know, she, so she's looking down at this rip dress. You know, how could this, how could this be? This obviously isn't her first dream, because she mentions in the film that she's she's had this dream quite a few times. So either Freddie's remarkably bad at stalking people and killing people in the dream, or she's remarkably good at getting out of them. Um, is what is what came to mind. But then you cut to the four, and so the four are Glenn, uh, Johnny Depp, Rod, Tina, and Nancy, and that's pretty much the only teenagers in this film really I mean there are people around them but nobody else comes in and I think this comes back to what you said about Dom is about making it condensed they don't want a lot of exposition they just want to talk about this four so you find out that Rod is quite sleazy um, you know just after one thing um, Nancy's quite resourceful Glenn is the nice quiet one you know a boyfriend um, and Tina well, we'll get to Tina in a moment. We'll get to her when she's on, on her own in the parents' house. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, 
Nancy, Nancy's having, you know, Nancy's having the, having dreams as well. So she's she's having dreams about this character. So you started to see him get into all, all of these, and and the thing I, I just think that, you know, when when Nancy talks to her and says, "Oh, I've had the same dream," so I, you know, Freddie's been in the dream, you know, it's the finger hands, and it's just like, oh, the red, oh, he's wearing a red jumper, and, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all a bit strange because that's the scene in which they think that something's outside. Beth walks outside on her own. Considering she's just talked about these scary dreams, things are happening, she walks outside on her own. Uh, Johnny Depp and Nancy at the door, just watching for her. Rod comes out of the bushes, jumps and goes, oh, I know you're on your own, type things. Uh, goes into the house and she goes, you guys don't go. And the insinuation there is that Rod's going to do something bad. Did you get that? Yeah, I thought I thought the way that it introduced the characters was, was pretty interesting, actually, because at the start of the film, you think that Tina, the, the blonde girl, she, you think she's going to be the central character. You know, there's a lot of focus on her. She's the first person you see getting chased. And, mm. and I thought that that was a really interesting red herring and, and presumably deliberate by the director because she ends up getting murdered, you know, about 15 minutes into the film. And yeah. um, and I thought, so I thought, you know, she, she's a... It's quite interesting the way they did that. I thought the way they introduced poor rod was um as you say he jumps out of them so you get this kind of fake scare which is typical of the sort of horror film isn't it um yeah. and uh he pulls a flick knife out on johnny depp who yeah. within, within 10 seconds because johnny depp calls him a uh, a dickhead and i just think hey that's a really english insult you know it's like a dickhead is it Do americans even say that to each other I'm, I'm not sure and uh and that's all it takes for him to get a flip knife out to his throat so yeah in terms of character that you know pe- people often criticize horror films for being one-dimensional about women but this poor jesus garcia or whatever the actor's called he gets zero chance to do uh, any character development no, so absolutely a, like a, a bit of a thug isn't he but um but yeah, and then of course, uh, you know, as you say, they they all go into the house, and Tina and and Rod go upstairs, and um... well, they go upstairs after she goes, "Don't leave me alone, please stay in the house," and you're like, and then Rod Rod comes, puts his puts his hand over her mouth, and they're like thinking, well, when are the outrage brigade going to get to this film and go go? Uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street should be banned because it's a uh, uh, misogyny uh, towards towards women. But yeah, it's. Like we say, anytime we review, well, anytime we review a film like this, you you can look at it through the prism of today, and you're quite welcome to look at the prism of today. But in the '80s, this is what's going on. This is what this is the sort of you know the attitude that that, that was pre- not prevailing, but was used in films in, in certain ways. People used insults that they would never use now. So yeah, but it just it. You see it, and it looks a bit out of place. Yeah, and then you know, just to uh, you might want to cue in some some funky music here, Charles, uh, when you're editing the pop. Not that elaborate, but yeah, go go, go on. I'll try. But then they then they go upstairs, and um, yeah, you know, boyfriend and girlfriends do what boyfriends and girlfriends do, particularly in eighties horror films, and loudly. uh, Yeah, yeah, but but that's kind of a crucial plot point, I think, rather than just being gratuitous sex because you don't actually see you know it's not it's not one for the voyeurs there's not nothing shown but but kind of everything that happens from that is you know one of the themes of the film i suppose is is people being punished isn't it you know, children being punished and in that case you, you can see you know being punished for being sexual you know being punished for 
for that misbehaviour. And I thought, so I thought that was, you know, again, not a, an accidental course of events. The director's kind of teeing it up like that. Yeah. And I thought it's no surprise that the woman, you know, Tina, who, who has sex, is the one that's brutally murdered as, as a result. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the kind of puritanical brigade, you know, from 2021 don't need to go back and retrospectively censure the film because the film kind of makes clear what happens to, to girls who do that sort of thing. Yeah. And the whole premise of Friday the 13th is um, Jason dr- drowns at camp because the the counsellors are people who are sp- charged with looking after him are all having sex. So no, nobody sees him drown, which is why he takes his revenge. So, yeah, similar sort of theme there. But but for somebody who didn't like the film particularly, I'll give it a five, you know, an average, a meh score. Um, hmm. I thought Tina's death was pretty well, pretty well done. Yeah, I mean... You know the the deaths the deaths are okay. There's just a lot of there's more there's more wooden acting in it, and and I think you know we may get to this just after we talk about talk about the death because um, Heather Lagenkamp Nancy is the weakest link in this film. I, I would definitely agree with you. Um, she uh, 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 she's definitely worth taking two points off because it, it was just there's no. Apart from the last 20 minutes, there's nothing in her character that makes me think she just seems like somebody that is expecting and resigned to something happening. It's just, Joe, you don't see any fight. You don't see any sort of thing. You know, she doesn't doesn't seem surprised. So let's talk about Tina's death, because I think this is where the iconic bit comes of him running down the street with his arms, with his arms uh, wide, then his arms extend. Uh, she's chasing him down. She rips his, uh, she rips his face off, uh, which I thought was really good. Um, but cut to the bedroom scene. Uh, he's on top, and basically, she's going up the wall, blood going everywhere. Um, yeah, it was quite, it was a, definitely a graphic scene. Yeah, and I think that you know that scene you're referring to when his arms are stretched out and he's running down and they're elongating. I thought that was a, that has you know foreshadows the film it you know the stephen king adaptation yeah. with pennywise and his yeah, kind yeah. of films yeah so i thought that and then i thought when she's pinned up against the ceiling getting sliced open that that's kind of reminiscent almost of the exorcist you know you've got someone kind of being hurled yeah, up yeah, yeah. on the ceiling so i thought um obviously one came, film came before the other came after so you know it's, so you know, it draws on these 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 themes but the other thing i thought about it was at one stage it, again that it was quite a sexual scene you know freddie's not just fighting her he's rolling around on top of her isn't he and um and you know there's there's definitely uh throughout the whole film i think there's these sort of freudian sexual elements to it without it actually being overtly um sexual i mean late later on cutting ahead a bit there's that scene where nancy's in the bath and the hand comes up between her between her legs before she's distracted and and yeah yeah. there's, there's quite a lot of playing around on that on that theme i thought yeah 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 absolutely absolutely so uh they hear all this commotion going on by the time they break down the door um tina's strewn across the place and various pieces um blood everywhere uh, the windows open rod's done a runner um and then it cuts to the police uh, the again nancy busts in the room and she's like She's not. If your friend was there in pieces with blood everywhere, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be screaming. I mean, you'd have your head in your hands. You'd be screaming. And she looks like 
that she's just left the iron on. <laughs> well, let, let's conclude that because you touched on it a moment ago, and I think I think one of, definitely one of the things I deducted half a point for, and maybe I should have gone a, a full point for, was Ooh, was the okay. acting performance of um, of, of Nancy. Have I brought you down to seven and a half, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're getting closer. They, they lost. Uh, they lost half a point for the acting of Nancy. Then I lost yeah. half a point for overuse of the synthesizer, so I got absolutely sick to death of it by <laughs> right, okay. through the film. And they lost half a point for the ending as well, which we'll get to, but was um yeah, not not the strongest point of the film, I thought. But um okay. I thought one thing that'd be really interesting was if they'd swapped the actresses. You know, if they'd had um Amanda Weiss, yes. she, if, if yes. Nancy one and this other one had been killed off and they hadn't it hadn't been a red herring, it had been a film about Tina. Because I just thought she was a stronger performer and um you kind of missed her when she wasn't in the film because she gets killed off. Yes. Uh, do you know what? I hadn't thought of it that way. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, swap them around. Um, and then she would have been, yeah, let's see, Beth. <laughs> she, she still would have been Beth in Better Off Dead and she still would have been good in that. But yes, we'll get to that at some point. Um, we, we'll get back to Nancy, I'm sure, because there are, I've got a lot of little, little things where I go, what? what? <laughs> I just, I just, started abbreviating it with WTF everywhere. Um, anyway, cut down to the police station. Her dad, John Saxon, is the police chief. Um, her mum's there as well. Um, you get a, you get a news report. So Nancy's sat there. She's looking at the news. And it's Tina's body being dragged out of the house. And the arm falls out of the uh, from underneath the, the, the sheet that's been put over her. I'm like, what, what news is this? I mean... Yeah, yeah, it's um, and there's a classic. There's another classic scene in that um, police station when they're talking about what happened, and uh, the line goes something like, "You know, they'd had a row, but it's all right. It wasn't serious." And the mother turns around to her and says, "Maybe you don't think murder is serious," <laughs> and it's delivered with a straight <laughs> face, as if somebody goes, "Well, no, actually, arguably, it's not." So yeah, I thought that was a thought that was an inadvertently amusing line. That, uh, <laughs> that but but here's the thing, when when he's when he's talk. When she Nancy's like relaying to her mum and dad, she doesn't appear traumatized. Now, if you totally detracted yourself from this family and you are the police chief and you go, everybody that was at that house is a suspect. But you know what? I'm gonna. Glenn was downstairs. You know, fine. Don't, Nancy was upstairs, or so she says, and Rod was in the bedroom. Right? Rod's gone. Rod can't. He can't say anything about himself. Okay. So you've got somebody there who's just pretty much not traumatized by it. Water for ducks bat. That's a psychopath, right? <laughs> and she she has to be suspect number one. Well, she has may- to be. <laughs> Maybe the boyfriend that was with her behind the locked door that's now run off, and uh, you know he might be probably suspect number one. But yeah, had. Um... Well, 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 but why? Why would you not? Why is she not sat there being counselled by a grief counsellor? And she's going, I can't believe what I've seen. And she keeps rubbing her eyes because because the trauma is that much. She treats this as like, well, can we just get this over with so I can talk about it? I'd be right, get in the cell. Until I work this out, get in the cell. Oh. It's the 1980s. People were, were made of sterner stuff then. She was back at school the next day, wasn't she? <laughs> you know, yeah. Again, wouldn't that be a, a red flag? <laughs> Where the dad goes, I'm, I'm sure, obviously, with what's gone on, you won't want to go to school. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm fine to go to school the next day. I'd be like, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, get get me the uh, get me the cuffs. I'm wearing a wire. <laughs> yeah, <it's been> 
But yeah, so she goes on her way to school, and and lo and behold, their missing rod jumps out, um, and she's she's not surprised. She's not she's not get off me, you freak! Don't come anywhere near me! Help! Help! Right, nothing like that. She's like, so did you do it? <laughs> what? It's, it's 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 almost like she's in on it. If this is a murder mystery at this point, that you would have to assume these two are in on something. Well, she, she had a ready-made patsy, didn't she, in the form of Rod, who hit and his um, one-dimensional <laughs> character, whose role was just to lurch from crisis to crisis um, and uh, yeah, and grunt, oh. grunt occasionally. So yeah, so already I know it's early days, but uh, when you watch this. Nancy should be it's got to be in the frame got to be in the frame anyway weirdly her dad appears out of nowhere so he goes hey look there was somebody else in there with me she goes can't have been it was a locked door all, all the things that Rod's trying to explain doesn't make much sense but they should make a little bit of sense because she, she was in a, in a Nancy's dream she was burned because she pressed to wake up she pressed her arm against the pipe and she ends up with a burn on her hand that's a bit later, isn't it? That's that's oh, when I thought she that was at the okay, maybe all right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I might be. So um a dad comes out of nowhere, points a gun at Rod and goes, Where are you? Rod gets away. These police cars come out of nowhere. And I'm like, how would how wait a minute, it was a street. How was a dad fi-? anyway, it's one of those ones where you just gotta file it under look, it's just the eighties, it's just the way it's done. I just think they're thinking to themselves, we've got, we've got a bit of an idiot here in Rod. What's the most <laughs> stupid thing you can do? Oh, I know. He can appear at the house of the uh, chief of police uh, the following day and uh, lo and behold, there he is. <laughs> You're right, your Nick Sunshine. So, yeah, um, yeah, not his finest hour. And then he's carted off to the police station. Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he's, so he's arrested. He's gone. Nancy goes to school. She's at the back of the class. Again, instead of being bolt upright, sweating, suffering some sort of you know post-traumatic stress disorder or or something like that she just sitting at the back lolling back and she just daydreams yes because of course the first thing that you do was just naturally fall asleep well oh. you know, it's, 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 this, this is why it's a slightly you're painting a too dark a picture there so this thing in english class julius caesar is being read to the class uh, okay this is impossibly glamorous um, american high school compared to those of us who lived in Britain in the 80s who were more familiar with Grange Hill and um, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. All, all these bright kids all of whom looked to be in their mid-20s as well which is uh, uh, yeah, always interesting and uh, yeah and then she falls asleep and it's it's the return of the body bag at that at that point yeah that's right yeah so the and body that, bag yeah that's pretty effective you know that is um that's that's pretty scary yeah that's pretty yeah the, kind of makeup, the makeup, whether it's Freddy Krueger or the victims and the prosthetics and the yeah, they they, they get their just say it's a small budget film. They, they they make that pretty pretty effective, I think. Yeah, it's top notch. Yeah, it is. It is good. Um, she's obviously falls into the dream. So obviously seeing this body bag. Pardon me. She runs out. She sees a hall monitor. Um, so she, she follows the bag because it's leaving the trail. Pardon me. And the hall monitor comes out, and it turns out that it's Freddy, but not as Freddy, just as the hall monitor, just in a Freddy-type jumper and the and the knives. Um, and I don't know why at this point I was just—is Elm Street just full of naive kids? 
I mean, it's is I, I just I just don't I, I well there's just a lot of lot of you know Freddie appears. Well, I don't know, we'll get to naive kids in a minute. So Freddie appears, cuts himself. He cuts himself and he bleeds green. Um, he's, she's been chased. Comes around the corner, and you're right, Dom. This is the bit where she, in order to wake herself up, she um, burns herself on the pipe. And you get like Freddie starts starts saying dialogue. He doesn't say an awful lot in this film, um, as opposed to the the wisecracking Freddie that you've got in in the later films. Um, but yeah, so she burns herself to wake up, and yeah. What did you think of that scene? I mean, was it? Yeah, I, I thought the I thought the school was was an, was effective. I thought that you know it was pretty um, creepy. Uh, mm. The you know the, it, these are classic images, aren't they? In horror films, being chased along a corridor, you know, it's, and this is what it plays on the film is that you know dream versus reality. Um, yeah, it's real and imagined. You know that they're kind of playing on these anxiety dreams that teenagers have. You know, I'm late for school everyone's looking at me you know what, what's so, so i thought i thought it was effective and, and you know, i think the film is aimed at you know teenagers and younger people and when you watch it whether you watched it in 1984 or subsequently and you watch it for the first time I, as a younger person i think it's easier to relate and, and have that resonate with you and um yeah so i, th- I thought i thought that was pretty pretty effective um and then you gradually see more of freddy don't you? it's a bit like jaws in that sense and you don't see a lot of him early on in the film and then he becomes gradually more and more revealed doesn't he yeah that's, yeah that's it yeah. yeah definitely um so the so she she looks at herself she wakes up in the class she's screaming she obviously gets to go home uh you know said we you know if you need to go home obviously we understand uh, the burn that she had, she, she pushes her arm against the thing like that, but the burns on the inside, that's a continuity thing, it's only a tiny thing that I noticed. But where does she go next? So, where is the one place that she really shouldn't be going in this film now, apart from falling asleep? I can't, I can't recall where, where's, where's the next scene. She goes and visits Rod in prison. She goes <laughs> and visits Rod. Now, was- if you don't think that she's involved at this point, in, in Tina's murder, then you really should be, unless for the mere fact that you see us, you've seen it. But again, um, you know, a dad's the police chief. He's going to know that a daughter's been seen. Now, again, another red flag. He should be going, I don't know what's going on here, so I'm going to lock you all up until I figure out what's going on. Um, but yeah, so she visits. Um, just it, it just it's just odd and she goes you know she's quizzing him again you know did you you know did you see that she said well there was definitely somebody under the sheet with her he said well how could there be there was only the two of you in there so well there's definitely something that's happening so this is i think wes craven's way of of taking you on the journey where nancy's working it out um rather than she should be locked up but anyway, um, she's... As, as I look at where I'm in my notes now, this is where I've written for one of the first times. Uh, teenage acting definitely a bit of a weak link here. Yeah, so you start, <laughs> you start to, uh, yeah, the, the bits without Freddie and start to drag slightly at this point. Yeah, and for a one hour, 30 minute, 32 minute film, then yeah. Um, then we cut to the iconic bath scene where she falls, where she falls asleep in the bath. Um, the, the glove comes up. I think that's a really, that's a really good shot. Um, you know, 
if you ask people to say what scene do you remember of Nightmare on Elm Street I guess quite a few people would go well it's the glove in the bath but this is what I think I, I know you disagree but what I think there is quite a scary film quite a um, because it's that sort of primal fear isn't it you know, being attacked when you're asleep you're at your most vulnerable you know you're, you're yeah. passive and can't being asleep in the bath particularly that image of the girl lying there you know the hand up between, just about to go between her legs you know these are vulnerable positions that, that, that they're in and, and that's why I think it's um, you know consciously and subconsciously quite quite scary uh, scary yeah agree, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, she falls asleep so the mum interrupts she, she wakes up the glove disappears um, she falls asleep again and this time she's pulled underwater uh, again it probably goes into what you just said like primal fear thing which is you know the fear of drowning the fear of something pulling you under and you can't escape it um, I mean I imagine some, being chased by somebody with an axe or a chainsaw like in some horror films it is also a scary uh, thing to think about but I think it just plays on a deeper level when it's something such as that you know the, the method of death is drowning or it's um, being um, killed it's, e- like it's echoes I mean echoes and not echoes and not a direct comparison for the opening scene in Jaws which I think is one of the most scary scenes ever in my mind uh, Chrissy Watkins goes goes swimming um, your imagination takes over how big is this thing that is dragging this you know grown woman underneath and she's trying to fight for her life she's clinging to the boy you know that she's going to die she's moments from dying there's nothing nothing she can do about it nothing you can do as a viewer there's nothing you just caught along with it um, her her acting it just makes that scene absolutely perfect um, and I think you know to a lesser extent you're right she can see she, she looks up and sees the, the, the bath you know the, the surface of the bath and she seems so far down but the mum breaks in um, and saves her so pretty much uh, she does that anyway we cut then to Johnny Depp in his room um uh, Nancy, she then goes walkabout. Um, and where does she walk to? Where does she go on a walkabout? Is this back to the police station? It's back to the police station. And this time, she goes at the top where she could look down into the cell and she sees um, she sees Rod there, but she also sees Freddy. So you obviously know that she's in a dream. Again because you can see Freddy. And I don't think she is in a dream. I think you're meant to think that she is. But she can't be, because she's just woken up. And she just seems to be breaking out of the house in order to go and see him. Yet again. Again, red, another red flag. But she's going to see him again. And But she sees Freddy in the cell with him, walk through. And you're like, how can he be real? How, how can he exist in a non-dream environment i think that's deliberate though this kind of blurring of the lines as to what's real what's not what's a dream what what isn't and um yeah and uh yeah i'm not sure it's a continuity thing i think it's you know designed to play with kind of the audience perception a little bit yeah yeah absolutely um so and, and so this this then takes us to the next death scene doesn't it this is the um this is the odd poor rod Yes, <laughs> it's a miserable stint in the movie. Comes to an end. How does he die? How does he die again? It's the uh... he, he's hung in his cell, isn't? It? That's right. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of 
uh, caught the you know, noose made out of a sheet goes around his neck quite an erotic way you know there's definitely something going on there as well I think with the imagery but yeah he's right. then strung up and violently hung from a um, but he's not yeah, he's from... not hanging for long I mean we've all seen Game of Thrones we know how long it takes for people to get to to, to get you know to to die from hanging but literally this thing goes along Nancy comes in five six seconds later I think it breaks his neck or something it must I think, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's, but he's, um, but that's same, isn't it? Poor, poor, poor Rod. <laughs> yeah, that's your contribution. Absolutely. Um, so then I've got. So you got the, the 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 hanging bit. Then you've got the funeral. Um, at the funeral, she starts to describe Freddie to her parents. Um, and say, you know, he had a pork pie hat. He had knives for fingers and all this sort of thing. And his parents go, you know, the blood rushes from their face because they're going, ooh, okay. Well, we need to do something about this. Uh, you know, we need to, like, investigate this because I think she's just got a disorder. I think, how how would she know about this character that we burnt alive? You know, which is obviously the backstory is that Fred Krueger was a... And again, in the original script, he was a child molester. Um who then went and murdered but this one is just child murderer um they're still no i was gonna say no just obviously but what what they're saying is they wanted to change the dynamic just to child murderer um whereas in the later films it's it's sort of hinted at anyway that the obviously both of them you know disgraceful um but from the they take her to the katia institute for sleep disorders that's the next place and I recognised the doctor a mile off. Did you recognise where the doctor came from? <laughs> no, I didn't really get to beyond how implausible <laughs> him, the nurse, and the whole sleep disorder hospital scene. <laughs> so it was tricky to suspend disbelief, let alone um, recognise him. And I wasn't sure who was in. Well, he's, he's Charles, Charles, his name is Charles Fleischer. And he's the voice of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that is... Of course... <laughs> yes, hello. Sorry, yeah, but that's that's why I do this podcast because I go, oh look, it's Charles Fleischer. Nobody else would have seen that. Um, so, so they're sitting there in this medical. T- 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 yeah, tell t- yeah. The mother's what happened next? Back. It was the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, smoking a cigarette in the hospital. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and they're going through their little routine, and they're all kind of uh, going through the motions, and it's all predictable. And then suddenly. Freddie makes an appearance in her dreams and it all starts going off the charts, yeah? You, yeah. you can tell it's bad because they've got her wired up to a graph and some, the pens are all going zigzagging all over the place and, um, and they've never seen it before and I think the doctor's about to rush in there and slap her awake, which I'm not sure is recommended medical <laughs> procedure. <laughs> he then goes like a, massive like airplane. It like starts smacking, smack, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They queue up and uh, take turns in just bashing it. Meanwhile, Freddie's... I'll handle this. <laughs> Um, except, what does she do? She she manages to get a memento of the dream, and she brings it out. She grabs his hat um, and brings it out of the dream. Um, so that whole sleep disorder section, there was just no need for it. She could have had that dream anywhere and grabbed the hat. But I think to a mum, is it trying to set up to a mum that? this actually could be happening because 
I think so, because isn't, isn't that the kind of final problem? Yeah, that's the evidence that the mother needs in order to <clears throat> share the backstory and this big guilty secret she's been yeah, yeah, yeah. carrying around with her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's back home. She says, how did I get the hat? Um, Nancy challenges her mum about the excessive drinking that she's doing. Um, you know, there's... She's... It, it, the the mum and the drinking thing is not a it's not convincing at all uh-huh. okay um you know i know you know we don't get too deep into it i've seen what alcoholics look like but you know uh, from a personal point of view but i've seen what um in this particular film you kind of like she's just there just seems to be bottle there for bottle's sake she's not like a, a true alcoholic she always seems pretty co- pretty compassmentous for an alcoholic yeah I guess I guess a functioning alcoholic but um, I mean it's it's all how plausible is it I suppose yeah in the context of a horror film it's all a bit implausible but yeah, maybe, I mean this is the one that I was on about earlier that got the supporting actress nod earlier I, I actually thought her acting was, was, was reasonable in this one of the better performances so, um, yeah. so perhaps you disagree but uh I thought when she goes into the backstory and it's um, you know there were 20, 20 child murders. So it's not like a, a couple, but it's as horrible as that. It's twenty, so we're talking yeah, yeah. some epic scale. And and then the parents, he, he was let off through a technicality, some pen pushing bureaucrat who'd let the side down. So the parents did the only thing that they could, which was they threw him in this awful place and, and burnt him alive. It, it, that, that was the, that was the line, which is lawyers got fat, the judge got famous. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He's dead because mommy killed him. That was, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it reminded me of when the Simpsons did a, uh, a Treehouse of Horror version of Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Principal Skinner's heavily involved. And he refers to it all as a uh, don't question the bizarre cover-up, which I thought, you know, was uh, was quite funny because it is a slightly strange uh, series of events that swing into motion. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd, I'd quite like to have seen the prequel. I'm surprised they didn't do one seeing as how much they tried to mine the... Um, the franchise but yeah the the, the, the prequel when freddy krueger is an actual human and uh yeah and the parents get perhaps the 20 child murders might have put too much of a downer on it for, for contemporary audiences but um yeah 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 absolutely um so nancy phones glenn um and she says he says how long you've been up she said i've been up for seven days that's right yeah right yes. seven days Right, I, I, I'm no um, sleep expert, but um, I think after three days, you, you'd you pretty much, well, the effects would be both visceral, evident, um, you know, seven days, almost double that. You know, there used to be a TV show called Touch the Truck. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, so, and the, the trick was, you had to keep yourself awake as much as possible. So, what did you do? Did you did you have a strategy that you loaded up on caffeine and it helped you through it, and you just topped it up? Was benefits you could have the downer, and people you know fell backwards and stuff, and didn't touch the truck. For all those people that don't know what touch the truck is, by the way, sorry, um, uh, twelve people put their put one hand on a truck, and the last person to have the hand on it wins the truck and like two hundred thousand um, oh, dollars. Back when. You know, back when game shows were game shows. Uh, it's like three, two, one. Bob's Full House. Um, 
but yeah, anyway, I don't know what, when I got onto that. Um, she then says, she phones Glenn up, been up seven days, meet me at my porch at midnight. Um, and then it's, and we don't normally swear on the podcast, whack the effer as I bring him out of the dream. <laughs> now, whack the effer. <laughs> whack, whack, well, I might get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> whack, whack the muddy funster as I bring him out. Um, and it's like, does she know? So because she's got the hat, the burn wasn't enough for her to realise that you know, things can move between the two. But she now thinks that she stands a chance against him. Yeah, yeah, I think she started to piece it together, doesn't she? And this is, um, in much as I think her acting is pretty terrible throughout the whole thing, this is one of the redeeming features about the film is it has got this female hero, hasn't it? This heroine at the heart of it. It's not like one of these um, women in a horror film who just runs around screaming um, and or gets the men to save her. You know, she, without jumping straight to the end, you know, she, she's the person that's the dynamic character in this that sorts things out, that figures things out. And so she's the kind of, yeah, the, you know, she's the hero of the piece, really. Um, yeah. Whereas Johnny Depp, on the other hand, you know, she, she stayed awake for seven days. <laughs> Johnny Depp's got a rather... Uh, fatal character flaw that he appears to suffer from narcolepsy because um, <laughs> yeah, at various the... points in this film he's required to stay awake and be on guard and um, he can't last more than 10 minutes without you know it's like he's had a full Sunday lunch a full Sunday lunch a bottle of wine he's watched uh, he's watched <laughs> the footy on TV and his eyelids are getting heavy it's um, <laughs> you, 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 you might want to be a bit more selective in who you choose to guard you uh, as though your life depends on it um yeah, so Johnny Depp is supposed to meet at the porch, falls asleep, as you say. But then his mum comes in, wakes him up. And she says, oh, I don't know why you're watching the television. She goes, Mum, Miss Nude America is on later. Not sure I'd ever tell Mum. <laughs> sure There's a good nature programme on, Mum. That's why I've got it. You'd never, never say it's Miss Nude America. But anyway, oh. cut to Nancy's house. A mum thinks she's fallen asleep. Um... You know, there's bars on the windows, by the way. The mother, you know, has basically pretty much kind of like locked her in. Um, and she comes and collects the coffee cups and the mugs. And then one of the weirdest scenes in the film is there's the coffee maker. <laughs> when, when her mum disappears, she pulls out this clearly on, clearly hot coffee, and she puts that on the side of her bed. And I'm like, you'd hear that. You'd smell it. You'd hear it, you know, you'd, you'd know it was there. And I was just like, how are you hiding that? that, that that's your weirdest <laughs> scene in the film. No, that's... it's just one of the... One of the Cause, I'm cause like... we're, we're approaching the telephone uh, at, this, at this point, aren't we? And that, and that, yeah, that's yeah, quite, yeah. Quite a weird scene. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, then it cuts weirdly to Johnny Depp's dad is out on the on the on on his veranda. Uh, Nancy's at the window because obviously she can't get out um, and he's he seems to be perving at her it's, and I'm like okay what, is, is this going to go anywhere it's like so she goes to, she goes to out to meet Glenn um, you know you know mum finds you know another bottle from somewhere she pulls pulls it out and she knows quite clearly um, and she knows that she can't get out but um, Glenn is Glenn is asleep. She tries ringing the house. She gets to the parents. The parents are like, "What you know?" I mean, first of all, I don't know why the parents are going. I've just seen you at the window, right? You know what time it is. Glenn's asleep. 
Glenn's watching Miss Nude America, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother him. I'm, I'm not disturbing Glenn. Glenn's off limits for the next three and a half minutes, so it's, it's, I'm not going up there. The dad picks up the phone and goes, no, Glenn's, Glenn's busy, click. Then she, she puts the phone, but then is she asleep because she hears she hears the pipes she hears the the, the like you know the, the the scratching of the pipes by the you're like okay so she's fallen asleep despite the coffee machine um and then the phone rings what happens next well it's a bit, a bit like a david cronenberg film isn't it the, the um the receiver <laughs> yeah. morphs into a mouth and uh, proceeds to smogger doesn't it she, she gets uh yeah she gets kissed by the phone Oh dear, yeah. Um, so she's she goes downstairs. Glenn's in trouble, Mum. Mum said, "I'll lock the house," and she's got the key around her neck. Uh, and then Johnny Depp's—I don't know. Probably would you class this as the most famous death in the film? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that people remember probably the most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. Johnny Depp falls asleep, uh, wakes up, he's dragged into the bed, um, and pretty much as he's dragged into the bed, you just to see everything disappear, cuts to uh, Nancy screaming and going, Glenn, Glenn, cuts back to Glenn's bed, there's a big pile of blood in the middle and it all gushes upwards, uh, like in a big volcano, uh, and just goes everywhere on on the ceiling. Um, uh, you know, parents are you know trying trying to get in and and all this sort of thing. Um, and the police come as you would expect. Now, why aren't the parents putting cuffs immediately? And 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 I mean, frog marched out. You know, humiliated because there's no well, there can't be any other explanation. If Rod's guilty, then the parents must be guilty because they're the only people in the house. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like your summary justice style. <laughs> no. Maybe going to advocate just just taking them in the back garden and shooting them. There's the dogs that they are next time. Well, it's hardly going to be the the doctor from the sleep clinic. You know, Charles Fleischer runs out and goes, <laughs> boom, 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 "It's me, Roger Rabbit." You know, I, 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 I don't think by this stage they're actually you know anybody's actively looking for uh, you know who done it. <laughs> I think you need to need to move away from that that genre. But no, um, but how does that phone call go? Hi, yeah, police, yeah. Uh, I, oh God, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm racked with, you know. Oh, well, stand by, man. Where, where do you live? Right, okay. What's happened? Oh, oh poor son. Oh, darling, son's dead. Right, okay, uh, fine. As soon as they get there, we just need to check out. Is there anybody else in the house? No. <laughs> you, well, you call it summary justice, but you know, I mean. I love that decision tree. <laughs> right, we've arrived at a murder scene. Is is there is there anyone else in the house? No, right. Arrest the parents. Okay, just, don't bother with the police station. Just take them straight to prison. <laughs> Guilty. Um, but there is. But yeah, I mean, full officialdom swings into action, doesn't it? Because there's a coroner. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. But he's not seen at any point. And when they inquire about his whereabouts, there's the, there's the classic line. Uh, <laughs> What's the coroner got to say? I don't know. He's been puking the jobs since he saw. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So if you've got the coroner, surely you've got the lawyer, 
And then you've got the judge and they all go into the house and next thing you know, they come come out in chains and uh, that's it. Hardened, hardened, battle-scarred veterans of law enforcement communities just openly weeping and the coroner's still in the john puking up. Oh, that was, yeah, that, was that was a good line. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Nancy calls her dad. Um, dad, break down the door in 20 minutes. I'll, I'll get him. Um... My dad's going, I, I don't know what you mean. You know, he doesn't t- pay too much attention to it. And you'll see why in a moment. So we're getting towards the end of the film. Um, and at this point, the film turns into Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I made the same note. Yeah, I've not right. seen more elaborate home, uh, home defences. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you saw that sledgehammer that's on the, uh, on the hook, that when the door opens, the sledgehammer comes straight, straight down. That's that's for Marv, you know. That's for Marv in Home Alone. I mean, it's right there. Um, if anything, Macaulay Culkin held the edge on it. You know, there's not there's not not quite as uh, as painful as, as what happens. But I don't know the bricks in Home Alone too. I mean, when we when we seasonally watch Home Alone too, it's Amy's favourite bit. But, you know, <laughs> Marv gets whacked with a brick four times straight to the face. I mean, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> Pardon me. So, so. This is the other thing. She she puts all the she makes all these light bulbs into like basically landmines. Because earlier in the film she was researching a book, booby traps and IEDs. And I'm like, okay, well she's obviously digested that book pretty quickly. Because she's building these homemade bombs out of light bulbs. And I swear to you, the first thing I was doing when she was doing that is so she's dotting these all around the house. What if her mum wakes up? <laughs> I can't, can't see anything. Click, you know, it's not like a comedy moment, but she turns the light on and boom. Oh. You know, she's got glass, glass in her face. And it's, oh, God. I I, uh, I thought you were going to be commenting on the likelihood of her getting that improvised IED device book out of the library. That sent me off some sort of red flag to the FBI. Because <laughs> to your point, she's already on a wanted watch list somewhere, isn't she? So that's, um... Well, her dad's already, you know, I'm sure... Everybody but her dad in the police station thinks that she's guilty uh, of this. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, actually, she does put her mum to bed. She does take her mum up and put her to bed. Um, probably should warn her about the traps. Um, but her mum says, oh, no, fine, yeah, I've ditched the bottle. I'm more clear than I've ever been. Um, I just thought that would have made a great scene in the film. Do you know what, Nancy? I have been a terrible mum. I've been a an alcoholic, and I know it's ravaged my life. Do you know what? I'm, I'm clear. I'm on the road to do it. Anyway, I can't see where I'm going. Click. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that would have made a great scene. <laughs> that would have been perfect. Everyone would have remembered that. Um, Anyway, do you want to talk us through the the next bit because this is Nancy's dream. This is this is what how she's going to get him. Yeah, well, well, yeah. So there's another extended kind of um, chase and uh, tension, but this time she stands up to him a little bit. You know, she through some sort of convoluted blend of fantasy and reality, dream and awake, and having a watch that goes off at the right moment. She yeah. she drags him back into reality. Um, yeah doesn't feel she has and then, and then he appears and then um then he gets the mother doesn't he Is, isn't that right he uh, there's a big sort of chase scene in the house and he he gets the mother in the 
in the bed and they disappear. A bit like the Johnny Depp um, murder, but without the blood. Yeah, it's that, that's the weird bit because she's shouting out the window because she can't get a dad. Um, and you've got the, the, you know, the bumbling psychic cop that's kind of like staring at this and not taking it seriously. And in the end, she's screaming and her dad comes running out. Dad breaks into the house um, and they get upstairs to find that Freddy's in, in bed. I don't think it sounds like Freddy's in bed with the mum, but Freddy's attacking the mum. And then the bed lights up. She appears as some sort of corpse and disappears into the into the bed. Yeah, and he, the dad witnesses that. And that's where I thought they should have ended it, really. Um, you know, that yeah. point, full stop, credits roll, you know, jobs are good at them, but they don't. Do yeah. Well, and this is where I think they should have ended. Well, they should have ended the film because she's kind of like, it's just a dream. She's She's been told that, you know what, if you put your back to something and say it's not a dream or something, then, you know, it can... It can disappear. And she does. She says, it's not a dream. You're nothing. And Freddie goes to lunch and then disappears into similar sort of blue ether that the mum went into. Um, so, after that, what happens at the final scene? Dom, it's all yours. Yeah. Because uh, I know you said earlier that you've got a particular bugbear about the final scene. So, yeah, the, the floor is yours. Well, I think not just the fact, the, the, the scene immediately prior to it, which he turns her back and he turns into energy, and, that, and that's a bit crap, even by 80 standards, the, um, the special effects are poor. But yeah, so they, you know, she's brought everyone back to life, and you feel it's going to be some sort of fairy tale happy ending, and she's getting off in some nice bright red sports car with her friends, Johnny Depp and Nancy, and they're, they're all back, um, sorry, Tina, they're all back alive. And uh, then the car starts to take a mind of its own, the, the convertible roof comes down, the doors are locked, uh, the mother who stood at the doorstep waving them off, you know, Freddie's arms come through, drag her through the window, and, um, and yeah, the, and the film ends there. Yeah. But it's all done in about 40 seconds, isn't it? It's like yeah. a kind of punchline, climax like that. It, it's, yeah, very, very rushed and pretty, pretty unsatisfying. I think they probably ran out of, um, either ideas, money, enthusiasm, or all three. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I, I think that I've managed to successfully chip away at you and bring, bring you down to at least, at least an eight. And there's not much between five and eight, really. I mean, if we were three and eight, then we're, we're we're light years away, but there are some, it's, it's a flawed film, definitely. Could but... you watch it? Could you watch it again next week? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I could. But um, it's not like I, Roadhouse, I, I, I never want to see that film ever again. <laughs> yeah, ever again. It's yeah. So it's a flawed film, but it's not a poor film. I think it's. You know, I do think it's original. I do think it's imaginative. I think some of the impact is lost uh, because of how much it's been referenced explicitly or otherwise um, since then. But, you know, go back to what it was. I think it was an impactful original film, some of which, you know, has, has a decent legacy in, in the horror genre. Um, but yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and absolutely. To say this, they probably did it for about, you know, a million dollars or something like that. Um, you, you know, they get some good value out of that, I think. Get, give them a big budget, I suppose, like you have for the Scream franchise and you'll get, you'll get more out of them. But it was yeah, a good... 80s horror film and that's what this this podcast's all about Charles eh? yeah what good films <laughs> well, <laughs> well, 
yeah, maybe it doesn't tick the box of forgotten, but yeah, it, a celebration of things eighties. You know, it's, there's a yeah. lot of eighties imagery in there, and um, it's, it's a celebration of the nineties. Something films are always forgotten to everyone. There's got to be somebody somewhere that hasn't seen Back to the Future. I, I, well, actually, no, of course not. There is a, there is nothing like that. But anyway, um, I just think the acting. The, the, there's acting. There's annoyances. But the reason it's got the five is because it is. I, I can't. There's no way that I could go underneath five. I think I, I do feel a bit bad going for five, but but I, I couldn't watch this again. What I have done is sourced all the rest of the other films, so I'm going to watch them all in order now. And then when I looked at the trailer for Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, I remembered that was very annoying. But um, you know. I'm just looking forward to watching them in order. I'll get to four, uh, four, five, um, three, four, and five, and then the films after that. Um, I'll even watch the preposterous but hugely enjoyable Freddy versus Jason, um, which is which is wonderful. <laughs> it's just wonderful in its uh, eccentricity. But anyway, time time moves on, Dom. Um, so, have you got any final thoughts on that before we get to trivia time? I'm sure stuff will come up in trivia time. No, it's a, yeah, pl- pleasure doing that. I, I w- enjoyed watching the film and I've enjoyed discussing it with you. So, well, yeah. we haven't finished yet. <laughs> this is where some of the uh, contentious bits may come. Um, so let's move. Let's move nicely into uh, trivia time. Trivia time. Well, I have thirteen pages. Now, just before we get into that. I, I just put a line through the majority of it because we'd be here all night. Um, you know, so there's some. There's, you're, just gonna, you're gonna hit me with your top trivia then. I'm you just gonna hit you with the, 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 trivia. the top one. So, New Line Cinema, the people that made this, made quite a lot of films in the in the 80s, were saved by bankruptcy by the success of this this film alone, um, and was jokingly nicknamed the house that Freddie built. So they actually owe their success to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, now, when you when I research trivia, I always have the same thing in every film. Oh, you know, went for this film. Oh, all these people. And you go, that's complete rubbish. I don't know who filled this in. It's like Wikipedia. You just you just pick plucked a name out, just put it in with no no reference whatsoever. But Heather Lagenkamp beats over two hundred actress, actresses for the role of Nancy. Among them, Jennifer Grey would have done a good job. Demi Moore. Courtney Cox and Claudia Wells who went on to star in um, Babylon 5 and I'm like yeah all of those would have done a better job well yeah I, no, I agree but I think we're in a minority about Heather uh, Langenkamp being a poor actress or poor in this at least um, I think most people think she put in a good performance and she's kind of you know well loved by people who like the franchise I think you and I picked up on this it would have been better if um, Amanda Weiss had done it but I think yeah, yeah. I think that's a popular opinion. Even out of all those names, not just because she's in the film, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think it's great. You should have just shifted the... the um, Wes Craven's original concept for Freddy Krueger was considerably more gruesome, with teeth showing through the flesh over the jaw, pus running from the sores, and a part of his skull showing through the head. Um, makeup artist David B. Miller argued that an actor couldn't be convincingly made up that way and a puppet would be hard to film um, and wouldn't blend well with the live actors so they abandoned it 
Now, I would say when I read that, this stands with the same decision as the shark not working in Jaws. If you'd seen the shark right at the start, it wouldn't have been half as scary as, as it would be. The fact that you couldn't make this vision reality means you get Freddy instead. And I think he starts right from the beginning as scary, but you don't see him as much. He's shrouded in darkness a lot. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's probably a happy outcome. And I think that the fact that it's this Burns victim is a uh, victim. You know, he's, he's being burnt because he's, he's a murderer. Yeah. That makes it more chilling. I think if you make it too cartoonish, too outlandish with bits of skull, you know, that probably would detract from it. Um, so perhaps less is more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea behind the glove was a practical one on Wes Craven's part. He wanted to give the character a unique weapon, but also something that could be made cheaply and wouldn't be difficult to use or transport. At the time, he was studying primal fears embedded in the subconscious of people of all cultures and discovered that one of those fears is an attack by animal claws. Um, around the same time, he saw his cat unsheath its claws and the two concepts merged, although in the original script, the blades were fishing knives, not steak knives. Um, I don't know the difference between the two. Uh, no, it's nice to be on the receiving end of them, but yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. It's what we're talking about, isn't it? That kind of primal fear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Freddy Krueger was designed by... So this comes back to what you said earlier. Freddy Krueger was designed by Wes Craven to be the typical silent serial killer, such as Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. However, in the sequels... Freddie developed a cheeky persona that enabled him to be the black humid black humid villain. Now, ignore two, three is where he becomes that is where he becomes Freddy for me. Um, you know, there's all, all the all the deaths in Nightmare on Elm Street three. I mean, you know, the the do, do you remember? I know this is a family podcast, but. Uh, I think we've strayed into some areas, but the veins, do you remember the veins being used as like a puppet? I was like... That's one of the best ones, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've cut, cut a load of things out. Glenn was supposed to rise from the bed after the bloodbath scene. He was supposed to crawl out, you know, in pain. Um, but it was cut. And I'm like, does that make it better? Or does that make it? Would that make it worse? I, th- I think the, the bit where he disappears and then the mother at the end of the film disappears and you don't know what's happened to him. It's kind of implied that they've almost gone to gone to hell or something. They've not just been killed, but they've been taken into this other yeah. realm. You know, that's I th- so. I think that is more effective. The fact that <laughs> a uh, <laughs> you know Johnny Depp, bless him, didn't uh, <laughs> didn't try and drag himself. I'm not sure he had the the upper body strength to drag himself out of that bed, really. So it's probably just <laughs> flapping around. Well, he obviously built it up for Platoon. Um, one uh, one famous person considered for the part or auditioned for the part of Rod Lane was Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid himself. That wouldn't have worked. Too, you... too similar to physique, I think. They would look like brothers, wouldn't they? But um, Yeah, but could, that... he have, could he have got away being the... Inverted commas, bad guy. No, but didn't. Sorry, if this this preempts more, more of your trivia. But isn't didn't I read that Charlie Sheen was also in the running for that part? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I can yeah, imagine yeah. him doing it. You know, that might have been quite good. Absolutely, but you could put Ralph Macchio in this if you take the view that. I mean, certainly. Have you are you watching Cobra Kai on 
uh, Netflix. No. no. Um, I, Johnny is now the good guy and Ralph Macchio is the bad guy sort of thing. So they flip the roles. And, you know, I've seen the YouTube video where they go back and say, in The Karate Kid, um, Daniel LaRusso, Ralph Macchio's character, is the bad guy. And they say, and here's why. And they show you why in the film. And you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I could see him in that simply because I've, I've, I've thought of him in that way. Um, I love this one. We'll just do a few more because even with the ones that I've got. Um, in various interviews, Robert Englund stated that Freddy's walk and mannerisms were inspired by his costume and look at himself in the mirror. When he put on the fedora, he thought of old gangster movies and decided to give Fred, Freddy a swagger akin to famous gangster movie actor James Cagney, Jimmy Cagney. Because the full, the full glove with real metal knives, as opposed to the stunt glove with fake knives for safety, was so heavy, he found himself unintentionally dropping his right shoulder due to the weight. So he equated the stance with the gunslinger who has a pistol and a holster on his hip. Um, so as for the unusual way that he walks, he studied his posture and derived the sideways movement for a surfer standing sideways on a surfboard. So I think if you take all of that in, into thing, he's obviously thought about the character a lot rather than, hey, Robert, is there any chance you can spend three hours in this makeup every day? Because that's how long it took to put on. Three hours in the makeup just to play this character. Um, he's genuinely um, a... Even when he's Robert Englund, he's still genuinely unnerving. Um, when he was in V, Willie is the alien who works with the sort of fifth column um, because he's disgusted by what the, the you know his his race is doing um, what the aliens are doing and he plays a very sympathetic character so this is a massive turnaround in a very quick amount of time the, a, a year later um, so um, yeah uh, Roy Scheider was considered for the role of Nancy's dad uh, so we've got a Jaws reference in there I knew I'd get shift one in and also, I always try to, if I can, um, the reason he turned it down is because he was busy shooting the quite wonderful 2010, the year we make contact. Um, yep, I'm glad he made that. Because <laughs> uh, I watched that again. I'm watching, I'm re-watching all of these films, Don, that I should be watching more of the gaps that I've got in the 80s. What do you think? What do you do? When you go to an 80s film, to like Netflix, do you just go type in 80s and just see what's there or what? Well, at the moment, my strategy is I've got two daughters, I've got a 12 year old. It goes to the films I enjoyed in the 80s, you know, so the Indiana Jones and Back to the Future and, and Ghostbusters and, and, and those. And my eldest is now, she's nearly 13. She's at an age where she can start to see slightly more grown up films. And uh, I had to shoot on this one, I'm afraid. So I sat down, just me and her, and watched The Breakfast Club. Um, so wow. I thought I'd try Okay, okay. So, yeah, I think, I think 13, yeah. Uh, yeah, m maybe I'd have given it another year if I'd remembered quite how much bad language there was in there. I think the themes are all right, but there's a lot of swearing. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it didn't, didn't stand the test of time, I think, so I would... Really? Um, the, the disagreement that you and uh, oh, Emma had, yeah, and I'm, I'm more on her side. I thought, uh, I think I think films like Back to the Future, films like E.T., uh, Indiana Jones, stand the test of time. A bit, bit dated in places, but, but good, but yeah... Um, Breakfast Club, for example, no, no. Anyway, it was lovely. Thanks for joining, Doc. <laughs> yeah. uh, there seems to be something wrong with the recording. Um, yeah. um, 
yeah. yeah. I'm trying to educate my daughters through uh, through 80s films. Um, How can you wait a minute? How can you say Indiana Jones is dated? It's set in the 40s. A, a, a little bit dated. Well, you know, I mean, we're not getting all feminist about things. As, you know, some of the depictions of you know um, women and some of the depictions of uh, other races. Um, yeah. Okay. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Have you, are you doing them all, by the way? Have you done all of them? Not, not in like a systematic way, but yeah, we've, we we haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, we've even seen the one with Sean Connery. So yeah, we've seen. Uh, you saw. How did she take Templar Doom? Because that's quite grisly. Not, none of them liked him as much as I did when I was younger. I used to have an Indiana Jones poster on the wall. Yeah, I was a big big fan of it. Um, right. But yeah, I think they get a bit. I think smartphones have ruined everyone's attention span, Charles. That's a problem. Sorry, I was just looking at Facebook. <laughs> just checking the football score. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll leave it with this, actually, as a final one. Um, this movie can be seen as the first nail in the coffin of the slasher genre. The golden age of the slasher genre hit its peak from 78 when Halloween was released to 84, when both Friday the 13th and the final chapter came out, as well as Nightmare on Elm Street. By 1984, the realism stressed in the slasher genre, as typified by movies like Psycho and Halloween, and Craven's own slasher hits, Last Out on the Left in the Hills of Eyes, had become old hat. And filmmakers like Craven decided to give the genre a shot in the arm by adding other elements. By adding dreams and other mystical and supernatural elements and cross-pollinating that with the slasher genre, Craven was effectively moving horror away from the meat and potatoes, blood and guts type thrills of Friday the 13th and into the realm of special effects. The explosive popularity of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise had a ripple effect. After Nightmare on Elm Street, all horror films had to have special effects. Aliens, Critters, Candyman, Gremlins, etc. So Craven had unintentionally killed the slasher genre. For a while anyway, for about a decade. And then, ironically, it was him who resurrected it again in 1966, uh, 1996 with Scream. I think that's true. I think, I think yeah. horror's always been a genre where, um, you know, it's about turning a profit, isn't it? It's commercial filmmaking and something will, like Nightmare on Elm Street will do really, really well. And then there'll be a lot of copies or sequels and until everyone gets sick to death of it. And then, you know, there'll be a, a hiatus and horror often drops off the radar and something will rekindle it, you know, Scream did. And I think, yeah, if you think more recently, Zombies, you know, you get a film like 28 Days Later or something, which comes out of nowhere, turns a load of money, and then suddenly you've got various uh you know zombies become the next the next big thing and and there's a, a flush and a flurry of, of those and then yeah. it'll feature off and it'll become something else so it's definitely a kind of a cyclical um you know movie genre in a way that other, other things aren't really so and, that, and that's why i think Wes craig deserves some credit because he's you know, been successful in different cycles he's not a one-trick pony you know he was a but you know as we said successful in 70s 80s and 90s uh, as a yeah. director yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, there we go. That's uh, That was Nightmare on Elm Street. It's been, an, it's been an absolute joy to have you, man. It really has. Well, um, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And uh, just keeping the seat warm for, for Amanda, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hand back over to you two for Well, you. we've got so many, so many different plans in my head that I haven't even discussed with, with Amanda yet about what you know the next season looks like and how we jazz it up a bit um i would have to mention that the move to video um by uh, my good friends at uh, nerd alert um has been really good and really popular because they they can put things in you said earlier 
oh, it'd be good to have some sort of dramatic music in here, you know, and then put that in. And I think, you know, the podcast probably will evolve. Will evolve. Um, we've got one more um, episode in season three to do. Um, yeah, I'll, I don't mind telling you what it is. It's going to be the, uh, if I believe, 1988 classic, Midnight Run, uh, <laughs> with uh, Charles Grodin, uh, but more importantly, Robert De Niro. Um, and it's just, we wanted something to finish on that wasn't hard and fast action. Uh, I think we've covered all of the action megastars of the 80s. We've had Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme in there. We've had, obviously, Arnie, possibly the biggest of the 80s. Um, I wanted to put in The Running Man. I wanted to do Predator. Uh, Predator, probably not as much. Running Man probably would have definitely qualified. But we just, we naturally looked at Midnight Run and went, and I know it gets your seal of approval because we watched it quite a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah quality film definitely um well i'll be listening with interest and yeah unless your unless your listener reaction is so severe that i can never darken this podcast you know, it's one for the we, we had a we had a, a second film very different sort of film didn't we as an alternative to nightmare on elm street so maybe um when you fancy doing a horror again let, let me know yeah or, i think or, we should do a horror i think we should do one every season <laughs> all right well count, count me in and uh, maybe next time in post post-covid britain i can actually be sitting there with a beer with you charles because that'd be really nice so absolutely come and sit yeah come and, yeah you're always welcome bring the family and uh you, well yeah, you can sit there with a the beer but yeah sit opposite you can have i'm sure amanda would let you have a chair and a microphone <laughs> but and, until that time um we, we we will conduct it like this who knows anyway this has been great and you can get in touch with us at the usual uh, places on facebook just type in rusted junk nobody is insane enough to create a page called rusted junk unless there's some reference to some turns out very poor film uh called leviathan um we're at rusted j pod on facebook uh oh, sorry at rusted j pod on instagram and at rusted j pod at twitter so we'd love to hear from you we know that there are lots of listeners and, and the thing about it is without sounding like you know like the police every breath you take we know where you all are because we get all the stats and we know where everybody's listening and it's great. So, you know, I'd love to shout out to the one person, the one listener, hard and fast listener that we've got in, in Berlin. Get in touch. You know, if you like the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. In fact, I'd love to hear from all of you. Um, and, you know, Dom has always been a supporter of the show. And so, the, the, which is why it's a no brainer. I just, we were just waiting to find the time have him on but you know if we're going to evolve the podcast you know some listener feedback some listener questions some suggestions for the film uh yes listener number 19 i have taken your suggestion and the sure thing will be in next next season absolutely uh definitely but anyway get in touch uh but anyway dom an absolute pleasure um so man says toodle pip have you got a I'm gonna I'm gonna end this now so I'm just gonna put you straight on the spot anyway it's cheerio from me or be the same I am your listener from Berlin Charles (laughs) (laughs) alright I knew it damn it bye everybody cheers rusted junk rusted junk rusted junk the forgotten 80s movies the forgotten 80s movies